0: You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage, recorded live from Austin, Texas, and Work Human 18. And now, here are today's hosts. All right, good afternoon and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayanne Thorne. Oh, I think we're going to enjoy this next conversation. I'm really uh,
1: excited about this one.
0: Someone I have long admired and look up to, and a hero to all of us.
1: Yes, it's going going to be very exciting. This conversation is a highlight for us.
0: Let's get to it. We're joined now by Bonnie St. John, she is the CEO of Blue Circle Leadership Institute. An Olympic champion and best-selling author, Bonnie. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's been amazing. I'm here at Work Human for the first time.
0: Oh, well, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. We're really fortunate to have you on the show. I know uh, you've been awfully busy here. So grateful for you to give us a few minutes uh, to uh, to visit with us. Uh, before we get into our important conversation, much to discuss, take a take a quick minute and tell us a bit about you, your background, and give us that overview of what Blue Circle Leadership Institute's all about.
2: Well, I am the first African-American to win a Winter Olympic medal. I was a ski racer and uh, won silver and two bronze in alpine skiing. And what's crazy about that is I grew up in San Diego, California, (laughs) and my right leg was amputated when I was five years old. Um, but, uh, people say, oh, wow, you went skiing with one leg. I'm like, yeah, but I went skiing with no money. So my family did not have a lot of money. (laughs) Um, my father left before I was born. My mom was a school teacher, you know, skiing was not a natural trajectory from national city. You know, I grew up in San Diego, but not like the La Jolla side, I grew up in the national city side. So, um, you know, it's kind of a Jamaican bobsled thing, you know, (laughs) is, it's a really unlikely outcome. One of the things I I think is great, especially since we're talking to uh, an HR audience is, People say, you know, how did you end up skiing? That's crazy, from San Diego. A friend of mine in high school, Barbara Warmath, invited me to go skiing over Christmas vacation with her family. And they they were from La Jolla, and I was bused across town to go to their school. And uh, that's amazing. You know, we talk about diversity as competitiveness. And literally, if I hadn't been on the U.S. team that year, we wouldn't have won as many medals. You know, the people behind me were not American. And so the U.S. ski team is not generally in San Diego recruiting one-legged black girls. (laughs) But Barbara was, and that made our team stronger, you know. And so she's white, I'm black, she was from the rich side of town, I was not. Um, She had two legs and was on the tennis team, you know. And despite all those differences, she reached out and said, yeah, skier, I, I think you'd be a great skier. And, uh, and then she put up with how hard it was when I went, (laughs)
0: Right. right. but,
2: um, it's it's an incredible story. It's an unlikely story.
0: It is fascinating.
2: Were you afraid to try skiing? I had seen Teddy Kennedy Jr. on TV skiing on one leg. He lost one of his legs. And so I had an image of it that, Oh, that's possible. Right. And I think, I just want, you know, I was like, wow, going fast, you know, I couldn't run fast. I was never going to get picked on a track team or a swim team. The idea of, wow, I could know what that feels like. I think that's what made me want to, want to do it. That's just a, such an inspiring
1: story. And, and when you think about stories like yours that help people to achieve great things, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing your story, for being here to talk to us. How, how do you help other people to find their own story?
2: I think one of the, so so my most recent book is Micro Resilience and one of the things we do in in Micro Resilience is get people to focus on their real purpose and passion. And I, I've coached a lot of people through it and, and Micro Resilience is about the little things you can do every day to be more resilient. And so we wanted to tap into your passion and your purpose but what we found was you couldn't tap into that at three o'clock in the afternoon if you didn't know what it was. And so we ended up putting together some exercises to help people really find that passion to think about their life goals, to think about their values in a different way. We, we have an exercise called values detective where you work with a friend and they ask you questions instead of trying to rank your values, you know, is, is exploring how have you lived your life? That's going to tell me what your values are. And so doing some of that digging, I've seen profound changes in how people light up and start to be more energized about what they're doing. So I think, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how can I help my kids to be like you? You know, I think they want their kids to go to Harvard and win an Olympic medal. Sure, you know, that's all. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's really about going after your dreams. And what I say to a lot of people is if you're trying to tell your kids to do that and you're not doing it, that's a really hard sell. So one of the first things you can do is, is to be somebody who is continuing to dream and, and going after your dreams. And so doing that homework to really dig into what your passions are and what lights you up, it's life changing.
0: Why... It's so disappointing to me that there are still so many people that don't know their passion and purpose they don't have a grasp of, you know, they just walk through some exercises and some processes that you have developed to help people find that but what what have we done so wrong that so many people are 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 either afraid to figure that out or think that i don't i, I can't there's a, achieve anything here's
2: a stanford professor and i'm gonna blank on his name He's cited in my book but i can't name his name who teaches the course about living a, a life and he hates the word passion because what you just said is why do so many people not know what their passion and purpose is and the underlying piece of that is that they have a passion and a purpose and they should figure out what it is and that can be um paralyzing mm-hmm. for many people because they think, I got it wrong, you know, what if I get it wrong? It's okay. um, it can only be one thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it can only be one thing and it shouldn't change or I didn't get it right, you know. So letting go of that concept that maybe there was only one purpose for you is a good start um, and that your passion can change over time. And so continuing to do that homework every year, you know, cause it could change and that's fine. You know, it's not the one thing. Um, I think people put so much pressure on themselves and then it becomes unbearable. Um, I one of the best things for me about purpose, I read the book, Victor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning, and what that, that really clicked for me was that there's a million purposes out there, and they're all valid. You could save the whales, you could help the environment, you could help disabled children, you could run for office. You know, there's a million purposes out there, and they're all good. Just pick one, you know, and start doing it. And if you don't like it, pick another one next year. You know, it's the, the point is not figuring out what God told you to do, but using what God gave you and just using it. And then, you know, making purpose, not finding it. That, does that make sense? That's what we call it man Search for Meaning. It's you can put meaning into life. It doesn't have to be right. Does that help?
0: Yes, it does. It
2: sure does.
1: So you global traveler. You've had the opportunity to, to hop on a plane and, and go to many places and talk to many different types of people. Is there
2: one issue, one concern that you see that's universal across the world? Well, we wrote about resilience because my, my husband and I, Alan Haynes, because we see that people are so exhausted and drained. You know, it's interesting we're talking about purpose We have five frameworks in micro resilience. There's like brain exhaustion and then being emotionally hijacked and, you know, this bunch of others and then purpose. And we sometimes have a group of people stand up and say, where do you think you're going to get the most return on investment? You know, walk over to that station and and pick one. And of course, the majority of people usually go to brain exhaustion. I'm brain exhausted. This is going to give me the biggest return on investment. And then we run through and define what they all are. And... um, at the end, we do it again, and a lot more people walk to purpose because they realize part of the reason why their brain is so exhausted is because they're not really functioning from purpose or, you know, or some of the others, but they may change places. But it's this this exhaustion spiritually, emotionally, physically is so endemic, I think, everywhere. Right. We've got so much disruption, so much um, interruption and chaos that we're exhausted trying to sort through that. And I, I think that's really global. So with micro-resilience, we're on this schedule this year. We're going to Japan, Thailand, Brazil, China. Uh. Um, it's a universal condition. But I, but I think we have ways of... Making it better, you know, instead of being resilient by just withstanding the blows, you know, we can actually get good at it and find ways to be less drained and exhausted by everything that's happening by doing these little micro shifts to make it better.
0: Well, I, I love this idea of resilience, and, <coughs> and I've, uh, as luck would have it, I've had a series of conversations with different people with a little different angle, different nuance to it. But I haven't heard about this micro-resilience. So you've mentioned that several times, and it's obviously a big part of the work that you're doing now. And you're going to share some other things down the road a bit that you're working on. But uh, for someone listening to this, they're like, well, micro-resilience, what is that? So So define that. So
2: we coined the term, and you're right, it's a different take on resilience. Because the classic thing, like if you look it up in the dictionary, is bouncing back from something really bad you know trying to get back to normal from bad and so it could be rebuilding a town after a hurricane or or recovering after cancer or you know children that have been abused and how do they get back to normal and that's really not our lens at all is we're looking at for you know all of us sitting here who are doing okay how could we get better how could we be more resilient and we're looking at micro things not big things and so can i be more resilient tomorrow than i was today and it's so funny, there's a variety of reasons why we ended up looking at micro and, and looking at the research for micro changes. But it turns out one of the side benefits of that is that it's easy. It's easier. It's much easier. You know, if you're trying to do big resilience, that's hard. You're like, I can't be more resilient, you know. But if you tackle the little things, you can actually get better at it.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating way to think about it. And and that's, you can wrap your brain around that, right? Yeah, and it's doable. And you can begin to say, all right, I can do that. And it's little things too. And, and it adds up though, right? Right
2: takes it's also very motivating for people because so one of the ways we define micro versus macro is micro adjustments that you're going to make it's something you do today and you get the benefit today whereas macro the way we define it is the things you have to do over time to get the benefit so you have like exercising you know regularly or eating right or getting enough sleep you got to do it regularly to really get the benefit and we're looking at things that it's the same day, you get the benefit the same day. Right. And that's hugely motivating, right? Yep. You know, right. And so you're right, even though you get the benefit today, but you do it on a series of days, it will add up. But the, but the benefit's immediate. We're the microwave culture, right?
0: And then what happens is you build momentum off right. Of that, right? right. Oh, wait, I did that. I could, oh, I can do this. And then I, and yeah. then all of a sudden.
2: Well, and it also helps with the macro. Like, we're not saying don't do macro. I mean, you should right. be doing all right. those things. But it's easier if you go through a tough day. You know, and I can't change what happens to you during the day. But if you go through a tough day and you're less drained by it, you're more likely to go home and maybe eat a healthier meal. Mm-hmm. And maybe exercise and sleep better. And do all those things better if you were able to mitigate some of those stuff that was thrown yep. at you yep. let me give an example of macro and micro this is really helpful exercise so yeah you do it on a regular basis so if you have a really tough day when you have to give a presentation or finish a uh, proposal or something you might think i exercised yesterday and i'll exercise tomorrow but today i'm really going to focus on this this is what i got to do that's a macro and it works The micro perspective, though, is research shows that a little bit of exercise can make you smarter afterwards. And so the immediate same-day benefit is if I do a little exercise, I get better uh, access to memory. I can make ideas, connections better. I generate more creative ideas, you know, all those things. So if you know that, you think, I've got a big thing I have to do today. I can't afford not to exercise. And it doesn't have to look like an hour of jogging or getting sweaty. It could be 15 minutes of walking. You know, it could be something simple, but you know, you're getting your juices flowing. So now, you know, I do this all the time when I have to give a speech or I have to spend a day writing on a book. I'm going to exercise first. I'm not going to say, "Oh, I'm too busy today." So that's a, it's a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm.
1: That's, a, that's a good shift, and I and I don't know that we can emphasize that enough. I mean, I, I really believe that we can um, tell our workforce, we can tell our our children, um, friends, colleagues, that this is a really easier way for you to get to what you need to get to without feeling overwhelmed, and and it's it's like that one step in front, you know, one foot in front of the others. So you can make it if oh, you really just Oh Really going to make trying. one foot jokes with me? Yes. Sound oh where we're
2: going. oh <laughs> my gosh.
0: Oh dear.
1: She is you really so stepped good. stepped, in that. Oh, stepped joke. in that. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad you can joke about it. I feel, I feel horrible. <laughs>
0: So, Rayanne Thank will be you. leaving the show yeah, as now and, uh, it is moving I'm sorry. She's been removed be, uh, from Saint the premises. Myself? Bonnie just dumped me off the side <laughs> of the cliff
1: there. Thank wow. you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I have a question for you. I was um, teaching a class at a local university on um, personal branding and how to, to re- seniors in college, readying them for the workforce, right? And I had the, I, I started to, talking some of the faces were blank and so i thought maybe i need to go back a step how many of you have ever held a job these were kids that were 20 21 22 years old how many of you have ever held a job only two people out of 40
2: 45 i started working when i was 14 i was 12 we talked about this earlier now i lied about my age and got a job I took in ironing. You know, it was yeah. like it's. Oh, I get, did. I did stuff like that too. Make, I did to make yeah. money. You know, and yeah. babysitting and all yeah. those
1: things. And then, you know, my first job. I was 15 and a with outside of the home where I was out making money and paying taxes. You know, <laughs> officially, officially working in the world. Um. And and I was fascinated by these group of kids that had not worked really worked and are probably ill prepared for joining a workforce. If if you had stood in front of this class. What words of advice would you have given them as they're, they're preparing for this?
2: Actually, I, I do this from time to time now. It's not the main thing I do, but when I end up speaking in front of groups of kids, what I have found myself going to now is I have one slide that I show that lists all my failures, and I think that's so important because what we're seeing is that kids today are on social media and they see everything so perfect right. and they don't understand, again, if you've never worked, that there's a lot of failure on the way to getting anything done. So if you want to do, do things like I've been able to you know, have the blessing of achieving many different things there, you know, for, if I had 10 things on my resume, that means there's at least a hundred failures behind that, you know, and to, to kind of help them see that. I sat down with a group of seniors, um, a, a little while ago and I, Talk to them about the difference between looking extraordinary and being extraordinary. And I asked them to, to think about what that meant. And they had such interesting answers. They said, you know, looking extraordinary is something fleeting, but being extraordinary is something that you Internally. really own and you live with. And it's, it's more permanent. Looking extraordinary is something that is for other people, whereas being extraordinary is something that you do for yourself. Um, and then they, they even said, looking extraordinary can make you feel worse about yourself because you know that what you put up there is fake and it actually makes you feel worse about who you actually are and that being extraordinary can make you feel good. I ended up, so I, I wrote a Quartz article about that whole conversation um, and it's, to me, the, the key takeaway is look, spending a lot of effort looking extraordinary can actually prevent you from being extraordinary because... Being extraordinary means you know, being awkward, looking stupid from time to time.
0: Define what you mean by extraordinary. Because what I worry about is that someone listening and says, oh, she lost a leg as a child and did something big and bold and became an Olympic champion. How in the heck am I ever going to compete with that? So it's not. I want to go stay home and watch Netflix. It's easier.
2: So well, but, I think. Yeah, I think. In what the kids were getting at in that conversation about being extraordinary is about being true to yourself, about looking at what your own talent is and what your own potential is, and. And what's inside you that you want to draw out again, back to the circling around to the meaning and purpose, right? Is, is who are you and what excites you and what makes you want to do something? And often you don't know where that's going to lead. And again, that's part of being extraordinary. Is it extraordinary is extraordinary is not just doing ordinary, but being able to be different, which is being you, um, you know, by definition, normal, it's funny. I talk about this a lot. Normal is overrated. Um, being normal is is the opposite of being extraordinary so be, fitting in and just making everybody else feel good and comfortable and you know trying to show off and stuff like that is is not extraordinary um being you to the best of your ability is unusual and it's and it's much more satisfying
0: and then the follow-up to that is extraordinary in whose eyes right your own I mean, is it important to be... Cause I think most people think I need to be... I want to be recognized as extraordinary versus the satisfaction. This was when my life changed, when I realized it's not about what the others think. It's about what I think. And once I learned that, everything changed for me. I made dramatic changes. Right? Am I on the right well, path? Well,
2: yeah, yeah. And also, um, it's funny. You're This is a really interesting conversation because you can get to a place that is extraordinary, but there's a whole lot of time spent between here and there that, that doesn't look very extraordinary. You know, when I was right. living on a mountain working in a gift shop with no car and I could never go to a movie and I was shopping for my groceries at the mini-mart at the gas station. You know, that didn't look that extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) And there were a lot of years like that before you go to the Olympics and I might have never made it to the Olympics. So it's being willing to do the stuff that you wanna do and you can't, if I was only in it for the medals, I would never have made it. You know, you have to be doing what you love to get there, you know, if you, yeah, if you're just trying to do it for the recognition, good luck with that because you'll never make it to do the hard stuff. So it's, yeah, for so the extraordinary conversation to me has to be much more about mining what's in you and what you what you love.
0: When I first learned and understood that message was I heard a story about Chris Evert, the tennis champion, and when she first won Wimbledon, she later recognized that the joy of that victory lasted a couple of hours. And then what she looked back upon and said, what really, the moments that really treasured her was the years of work right. that went into that. And so then she said, all right, that's the victory here is what I did to get there. It's getting groceries at a, at a, at a quick mart. Looking back at it's that sacrifice, that's, that's the stuff you treasure, right? Yeah, well, it's great to, to, to show in your medals and, and be, a, be a champion, but what you appreciate. Is, is, is the work to get there. And that's what uh, I want people to take away from this. Is but that the, that's other,
2: the other part of it though, and back to what you would say to the high school kids, is I was saying, here's a list of all my failures. So there might be a lot of other things where I went to the quick mart and I lived in the middle of nowhere and I didn't look very glamorous and it didn't pay off. You know? And so you can't count on the fact that just because you did the hard things, it's going to make you extraordinary. You may fail at 10 things before you find something that really works. So here we are at WorkHuman, an event that has actually
1: um, spawned a movement, the WorkHuman movement. When you were first asked to be here and you first heard the, either the title of the event or how, how this was being promoted and shared and now four years later cherished for me this is my fourth year here and i and i love this event it's my favorite event all year long for the human resources industry what does that mean to you when you first heard work human what did that mean and then now that you've been here and you've felt this energy here this undeniable uh force well i was
2: introduced to this by one of my dear friends at bank of america um namrata and uh you know, she she said, "This is amazing." You know, she was trying to convey how amazing it was, and say, "You have to be here," and uh, actually being here, it's so it's so important, and and it's, it's I'm so glad I'm doing micro resilience here because micro resilience is so much about being high performance but still being human. We often uh, are sold the, like it's a teeter totter. Like you have to choose one or the other. You can either be work, or you can be happy and healthy, and you know, or you can workaholic. You know, or it's like it's a choice. And and micro resilience is really about humanizing high performances. you can be a high performer, but still be yourself, your values, and be and be great, and still be achieving a lot. And so, how do you unite those things? Um, and and just everybody here is in that quest of you know how can we work and be talented at work and achieving at work but still be our best selves as humans
0: what i admire most about your story is that you achieved a a great thing you won three olympic medals (laughs) and a lot of people would have said okay i am done now i can just go ride that wave of, of victory no you kept doing you kept building there was always something next a new project a new this i suspect there's something next So tell us what uh, we can expect from you down the road.
2: Well, we're really excited at Blue Circle Institute about um, taking this globally and being able to go beyond, you know, I can train so many people on micro resilience, uh, we've created a train the trainer program, and it's been so fun. We're working with David Covey, who's Stephen Covey's mm. son, and uh, and it's it's really fabulous. It's got videos in it. It's got lots of resources in it, and so we're going out and enabling other people to train it. And so we're going to be training trainers in Thailand and Brazil uh, and Japan, and and so. That's exciting for me is to go beyond what I can do and really leverage making a difference around the world through other people. And and, and just to, you know, we're going to be going all those places and, and just really exciting. I'm going to need all the micro resilience I can get though <laughs> to, to keep doing it. But um, but just to know that it's going to go beyond what I can do.
0: Yeah, and that needing that micro resilience never ends. I mean, that's that's a lifelong process, right?
2: It is. It is, and it's and it's been a challenge for me too to build the habits into my life. Oh, I want to say to people if you're listening to this and you just want to get a taste of it, go to microresilience.com. And if you scroll sort of halfway down, there's some videos. There's you can access like six different little two-minute videos that give you practical things you can do. You know, we have we haven't gotten into some of the detail, but these are quick, and you can share them with your team. You know, and so you can have that shared vocabulary around how to be more resilient and how to have high performance in a in a more sustainable way
0: outstanding well bonnie i hate to say it running low on time before i let you go should anyone want to reach out to you to to ask you any questions or learn more about your story and your work where do where do they go
2: uh, microresilience.com is great. Um, BonnieStJohn.com, they can go to as well, and you can contact me from there. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Outstanding. Bonnie St. John, the CEO of Blue Circle Leadership Institute, a former Olympic champion and, best- and best-selling author. Bonnie, thanks again for joining us. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Bonnie.
0: All right. It's so all the time we have for now. Todd and Rayan signing off from Austin, Texas. We'll see you again very soon on Work Human Radio. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting workhuman.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.